closed borders. It is clear that there is uh, broad consensus uh, across the provinces. What the new extension means for B.C. businesses struggling to survive. Heartache for newlyweds separated by COVID. No, the Air Canada agent didn't care to even look at what he had. Their dispute with the airline that denied his flight to Canada. Body break. And fitness icon Hal Johnson, the victim of racism. Because I'm black and Joanne's white, they didn't think it would. Uh, the Canadian public was ready for it. How discrimination inspired them to make body break. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. A number of BC businesses are facing a harsh reality tonight. The Prime Minister extending the closure of the Canadian border to non-essential travel. The new date is pushed back to the end of July. And as Sarah McDonald reports, the lack of visitors from the U.S. makes it even harder to recover after an already difficult restart. By now, the eerie quiet at the busiest border crossing in Western Canada has become strangely familiar. Nearly three months into the mutual closure between Canada and its closest ally in a bid to stave off the spread of COVID. We've managed to flatten our curve, but we cannot get rid of this virus when we still have people who are moving back and forth and bringing the risk that they have with them. The virus still showing no sign of slowing south of the border. The sight of the border kind of being closed is almost like out of a Stephen King novel. And the view from this typically bustling South Surrey restaurant, situated just steps from the state, is going to stay that way for at least another month. Canada and the United States have once again agreed to extend by 30 days. The extended agreement comes as confirmed cases soar past the 2 million mark in the United States. And while the continued closure ensures transmission slows, it's had the same impact on businesses banking on tourism. Oh, yeah. This establishment has a lifeline. One of the only places in the province where patrons can gamble during the pandemic. It's definitely mitigated the fact that the border's closed. With all the casinos being closed and uh, all the sporting leagues shut down even, the, the only sports that's going on right now is horse racing. But businesses across the board are gearing up for a very slow summer of sales. I think everybody in this business is majorly concerned. Uh, just to take two months off, the, the margins in a restaurant are so slim already. Another major factor when it comes to finances is there's no clear timeline. What nobody knows is how long these gates will remain closed, with a second wave to some extent, a near certainty in a matter of months. Sarah McDonald, Global News. A BC woman is angry with Air Canada tonight after her husband was refused boarding on a London to Vancouver flight. As Catherine Urquhart reports, it appears to be a matter of timing, and she is accusing the airline of misleading passengers. It's almost like they're misleading people into buying tickets and they have no idea whether or not you're going to be able to use them. Paige Monroe says Air Canada assured her that her new Scottish husband was allowed into Canada. So she bought Kieran a $1,200 ticket for the Heathrow to Vancouver flight. He was healthy, had an isolation plan and a copy of their marriage certificate. But on June 8th, at the airport, he was stopped from boarding. You know, I get a call and it, and he just says to me, Paige, they're not letting me board the flight. And I'm just like, what are you talking about? And he goes, yeah, they, they, they're just not letting me. And I was just wow. shocked. Air Canada's response? Though the revised rules surrounding family members came into effect June 8th at 11.59 p.m., this passenger's flight was scheduled to depart London Heathrow, arriving into Canada earlier that day. In other words, his flight was 11 hours before the rules changed. I would say that the onus is on Air Canada to demonstrate that those regulations still were in force when they denied the passenger boarding. The 25-year-old security analyst says Air Canada did not offer a later flight or reimbursement. She's now warning others to be mindful of the ever-changing and often confusing rules about traveling during the pandemic. And I don't understand why they would even sell him the ticket 
um, without saying things like, what is your purpose of travel, and then recording that down. Or maybe saying, what do you have prepared to demonstrate to us to prove that that's the reason? Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Health officials delivered another positive day of COVID-19 numbers for the province and announced updated modeling is coming next week. We have 11 new cases today, so our total now sits at 2,756. Again, no new deaths to report, so that number stays at 168. 11 people are in hospital, five of them in ICU. 2,416 people are now considered recovered, which leaves us with 172 active cases. Dr. Bonnie Henry stressing the fact that while we are doing a good job of holding things in check, it only takes one person in a crowded area to spread the virus to many others. We've managed to flatten our curve, but we cannot get rid of this virus when we still have people who are moving back and forth and bringing the risk that they have with them, um, not intentionally, of course, but because this virus is in many different places around the world. So we need to minimize the numbers of cases that we see anywhere here in BC, and that's part of our focus right now. Um, and in public health, we need to manage every single case to make sure that we don't get these super spreader events. All right, let's bring in Keith Baldry for more on today's update from health officials, which included information about PPE, Keith, and the mm -hmm. spike in, uh, in use of N95 masks early on in the pandemic. Yes, every Tuesday, Health Minister Adrian Dix provides us with an update on PPE, personal protective equipment. Literally millions of masks, uh, gowns, uh, eye protection, goggles, uh, you name it, it's coming in uh, by a huge amount. But for the first time today, he revealed how much uh, the use of N95 respirators were being used early in the pandemic. Normally, 1,800 are used uh, on, a, on a daily basis in our healthcare system. But this was at a time when the hospitals were almost emptied of half of the patients. So you would think the mask use would go down. It went to 12,000 uses a day. I put that question to Dr. Bonnie Henry today. What accounted for that huge increase in the use of that very, very special and required piece of personal protection equipment? And she basically says there was a lot of fear back then. Here's Dr. Henry. At that time, there was an, a lot of anxiety and fear in my colleagues and all of us. We were watching what was happening in, in places like uh, like Northern Italy, for example, and then again in Washington State, in New York. And so there was a lot of concern. I think we are in a much better place now. We have a protocol. People are more comfortable. We have experience caring for people safely uh, with COVID-19. So um, those are the things that we are going to bring with us as we move into this next phase, um, both of the restart, but also as we go into the fall. So a reminder, no COVID-19 briefing tomorrow from Dr. Bonnie Henry. Next one's on Thursday. Then on Monday, we're going to get new modeling, and we expect we could be formally into phase three sometime next week. All right. Thanks for that, Keith. BC barn restaurant owners are getting a break they've waited years for as the industry struggles to recover from the COVID-19 shutdown. The provincial government is allowing them to pay wholesale prices and not retail prices for alcohol. Richard Zussman reports. It's a break served by the bottle. I would say this is the single most significant liquor policy change of this generation. The B.C. government announcing on Tuesday, starting in July, restaurants and bars can start buying wine, beer and spirits at the wholesale price, a discount for an industry hit hard by COVID-19. I think it will be quite significant for the industry and I hope there does provide them the support they need. Right now, restaurants and bars pay the same as someone walking into a liquor store for wine, beer or spirits. That changes and now it could mean a savings of up to 20%. That makes the difference between opening and closing. It makes the difference between going bankrupt in a couple of months and having a chance to make a go of it. It's hope. This isn't a new idea. The industry has been calling for this change for over a decade, a change David Eby himself advocated for while in opposition. And there is a catch. The change isn't permanent, expiring March 2021. 
I'm cautiously optimistic that some sort of wholesale hospitality price will remain in place permanently. It's just the right thing to do. We'll make sure that it's working the way it's intended. It's important to review these programs. It's not a cheap one. The government is giving up about $25 million in revenue until the end of March. But restaurants themselves have taken an even tougher financial hit, with 10% of pubs and restaurants already closed for good due to the pandemic. So customers shouldn't expect these savings to be passed on to them. What you're going to see is restaurants probably not dropping their prices, but you're going to use, see restaurants taking this extra margin and reinvesting it back in their businesses. The discount will be especially beneficial for restaurants and bars focusing on higher-priced wines and cocktails. Bar and restaurant owners hoping enough drinks will be flowing to help keep their businesses afloat. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. We have some breaking news for you now. Vancouver police are back at Crab Park right now after enforcing a Supreme Court injunction this morning that removed many of the campers from the tent city there. Take a look. This is a live shot from Global One. It appears not everyone left this morning. And now, as you can see, there are a number of police officers at Crab Park in what appears to be a group sitting on the ground. We do have calls into Vancouver Police for more information, and we will bring you more details on this breaking story as they come in. But this morning, as we mentioned, hours after many residents went peacefully, tents started going up again nearby. And Grace Key joins us live now from Strathcona Park, where some campers are now located. Grace, what do the tent city occupants say they want? Well, certainly from Oppenheimer to Crab Park to Strathcona now, the issue has always been housing. As you can see behind me here, the tent city is firmly entrenched now. There's uh, several tents, a kitchen. They've also taken up about half the tennis courts here as more and more people continue to move in from Crab Park. At 6 in the morning, Tent City residents sent out the alarm. Vancouver police arrived near Crab Park. Police were enforcing a court injunction ordering some roughly 100 residents of a Tent City to start moving. This lot has been empty. Then all of a sudden, drug addicts, alcoholics and mental health people came in, set up tents, became a community. You know what? The white man can no longer steal any more land. It was peaceful for the most part, with many gathering their belongings and leaving on their own. Police did arrest one man for mischief, but he was soon released with no charges. Well, I'm here supporting uh, homeless people who are trying to live and uh, be safe and be in community. On Wednesday, an injunction was granted to the Vancouver Fraser Port Authority. Some residents soon set up at an adjacent port property. Police say campers had broken into the secured area and warned they could be charged with mischief. I'm going to die here on the street because I have no place to live. About 30 people from Crab Park have registered with BC Housing, but spaces are currently full, mostly due to tent city residents from Oppenheimer Park. The province is calling on everyone's help. We do need it to be an all-of-community initiative. That means local government has a role to play around land and processes. The federal government has to deliver capital money. We need to come in with money and services. And then private sector needs to come in and support as well if we're going to get serious about addressing this issue. Tent City residents say the order does not include possible housing options. Many here saying they are simply going to go somewhere else. There's a world, there's a way to be a new tent city. Watch, there'll be a new tent city. So the province sitting, obviously, uh, BC Housing is constantly looking for new spaces that are opening up. If anything does become available, they will certainly uh, contact with the folks here. But as you can see, it does look like uh, they are here to stay for a while now. Grace Key reporting in Vancouver. Thanks, Grace. Well, while cyclists are enjoying the free ride, businesses in Stanley Park say the prolonged vehicle closure there is costing them big time. The Parks Board is now proposing a temporary plan to reopen the road to one lane of vehicle traffic while getting rid of some parking spots. But as Ted Chernecki reports tonight, the Tea House claims that could impact safety. As other restaurants in the city open up, here's the Prospect Point property in Stanley Park, where the owners have recently spent $8 million in upgrades. It's still closed. In fact, the whole of Stanley Park is accessible only by bike, walking or special permit. 
and there are even bigger changes coming. Change this big should take a lot of time. I think we should open up in the, the way it was. Then if we want to make changes in the future, let's do that after we talk to all the groups involved and uh, come up with something that's workable for everybody. Now the park board is proposing to restrict vehicles to a single lane, continue to ban bicycles from the seawall, and reduce parking at both Prospect Point and the tea house. So we're losing 50% of our parking. There would be a barrier down the middle of Stanley Park Drive. Vehicles to the left, bikes to the right. And a hill just before the tea house could pose safety issues, especially for speeding cyclists. And forget about exiting the park onto Beach Avenue. All traffic must use Georgia Street. Vancouver's engineering department is calling it a temporary traffic management plan to promote social distancing. It cites a near doubling of bicycle traffic in the park since the pandemic. But then again, that's the only way into the park on wheels these days. It seems like the uh, Cope Green Alliance on Park Board are using this uh, pandemic really to push this big change through without any public consultation. Businesses are furious that after all they've been through, now there's another disincentive to dine out. It's been tough. We've been closed for three months for COVID, and now, whereas other restaurants in Vancouver have had the opportunity to open back up, uh, for the last four and a half weeks, we've been waiting in a limbo. About 850 employees are affected by what business calls the park's indecisiveness. Ted Chernecki, Global News. Exposing the problems in the condo insurance crisis, Strata owners now have some answers that help explain why their premiums skyrocketed in the past year. But there are some big questions that still remain. That's in just over a minute. President of Canada caught up in a massive drug bust at the border. What he was trying to sneak across later on the news hour. And we love to celebrate the rare spirit bear here in B.C., but wait till you see the one-of-a-kind cub confounding the experts in Alberta. That's later, too. Right now, though, after thousands of condo owners were hit with huge bills when their strata insurance rates skyrocketed, a regulator's investigation finds a lot of problems in an insurance market it calls unhealthy. The B.C. Financial Services Authority is also warning that prices are probably going to keep going up. Aaron MacArthur reports. The buildings keep going up, and so does the cost to insure them. According to a new report from the Financial Services Authority, the market for strata insurance is unhealthy. Any fix is months, maybe years away. It feels a little like they're, they're catching up. Um, you know, I'm grateful that they, they've caught, caught up, but I think uh, six months too late. At the beginning of 2020, the FSA looked at the insurance records for 6,000 buildings across B.C. On average, premiums jumped by 40%. It's higher in Metro Vancouver. We believe that uh, bringing uh, this uh, back into a healthy state is possible. However, it is a very complex matter. Several factors were given as potential sources for the increase. One area it focused on was the huge volume of claims. Water damage claims average just more than $3,000, but in buildings less than five years old, claims averaged about six times that much. There are questions whether stratas are using insurance to pay for what might be considered routine maintenance. Feels a lot like strata owners are the ones that are being forced to um, sort of be on the hook to help the insurance industry become more profitable. The Condominium Homeowners Association says the issue lies with the lack of underwriters. Fewer companies taking on more of the risk. We're often seeing strata corporations getting a letter a day before um, their renewal date saying, sorry, we can't renew this policy. The FSA will produce a final report by fall and present to government. In the meantime, owners of strata units are bracing for another year of double or maybe triple digit increases. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Just ahead, victims of a Serb scam. I thought, how much have they gotten? Are we going to have to pay it back? How do we prove it wasn't us? The bank card clue that triggered alarm bells and how it helped them solve a mystery. Also tonight, how fathers are finding a silver lining in the COVID crisis.
I'm in North Vancouver and crews are working to clear a car that drove into this building. It's affecting traffic east and west on Marine Drive at Bridgman. North and southbound traffic is also blocked. Kermac Collision and Auto Glass have been family run and locally owned since 1973. For unmatched quality repairs and exceptional service, choose Kermac. For location information, visit Kermac.com. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One, high above a crash in North Vancouver. Over the next few weeks, our government will look at international best practices and monitor the, monitor the economy and the progression of the virus to see what changes, if any, need to be made to the program so that more people are properly supported. But I want to be very clear with Canadians. Our goal here is to make sure that the CERB is working for you. Canada's emergency response benefit will be extended for an additional eight weeks as the government looks for ways to incentivize returning to work rather than relying on the program. The Canada Revenue Agency has seen several different scams since the CERB was introduced. In fact, the CRA has received hundreds of tips about potential abuse of the program. Now a B.C. couple is sharing their story after falling victim to fraud. Consumer Matters reporter Andrew is here to show us how the scam played out. And Well, not well, Chris. They have few answers tonight. The Canadian Anti-Fraud Centre says a large majority of this fraud is ID fraud. Fraudsters stealing someone's identity and applying for the CERB in their name with the funds directly deposited into a fraudulent bank account. When Joanne Halliday went to pick up the mail, she didn't expect to receive the surprise that landed in her mail slot. We opened the mail and received this client card for a bank account that we did not open or deal with this bank in any way, shape or form. More concerning, her husband's name was on this tangerine card. Joanne called the bank immediately, only to discover the card was linked to an unauthorized account. Joanne and Trevor then contacted the Canada Revenue Agency to flag Trevor's social insurance number, only to make another shocking discovery. A fraudster had applied for the Canada Emergency Response Benefit in Trevor's name, and CERB checks were being directly deposited into the Tangerine unauthorized account. Well, at that point, we were extremely worried. Worried because a social insurance number is needed to apply for the CERB, a taxable benefit. And since Trevor and Joanne never applied for the Canada Emergency Response Benefit, they're wondering how did this happen? Tangerine told Consumer Matters, as Mr. Halliday was not previously a Tangerine client, his sin was never in our possession. In some cases, if a person's identity is compromised by a third party, it may be used to help create a bank account. And the CRA told Consumer Matters, the CRA designed the CERB application process to be attestation-based, similar to the tax filing process, adding the CRA may verify this information at a later date. It also said it has a rigorous security system in place, such as validating an applicant's social insurance number before processing a CERB payment. If that's the case, Trevor says, he's puzzled as to how this fraud happened in the first place. It's kind of scary, for sure. You don't know how it got out there. Like, this is my question. I'm, I want to be able to track this down. The Canadian Anti-Fraud Centre says since the beginning of March, there have been over 1,200 reports of fraud linked to COVID-19 with a total loss of $1.9 million. There's a variety of CERB scams circulating. They are one of the, probably the most prominent uh, COVID-19 related fraud that we're seeing. While Trevor waits for answers, the couple hopes by sharing their story, it will serve as a warning to others. If you haven't applied for CERB or you haven't received your CERB checks, you should be following up because we wouldn't have found out about this until next tax season had this card not come to our address. Now, if you fall victim to identity theft, the Canadian Anti-Fraud Centre says to document the fraud in detail and report it to them and your local police. It also suggests being proactive. That means checking your accounts at all financial institutions regularly, monitoring your credit history and keeping a close eye on your bank statements. And if you have a consumer issue for me, you can email me at consumermatters at globalnews.ca. All right. Thanks very much, Ann. With gatherings of more than 50 people still a no-no in B.C., performers like musicians and comedians know that getting back to work is very difficult. Now, as Brad McLeod reports, while some small venues are starting to reopen, they're finding it a huge challenge to work within the rules and make any money at all. Shanna Dance pulls double duty as a server and a singer at Herman's Jazz Club in Victoria. 
and that's Cuban-born Pablo Cardenas. Uh, musicians depend on performing live, so it's hard. Live crowds, a no-go during COVID, and Cardenas makes almost all of his income from live performances. The Arts on View organization is trying to help out the artists by live streaming and asking for donations. I live with dancers, I have friends who are musicians. The whole field has been cut off. Nanaimo tribute band the Joe Cocker Experience had to reschedule all of their larger theater performances twice already. They worry about up and coming musicians. For those who depend upon paying their rent with it, that's big. That's a big uh, hit. Recording artist David Gogo was supposed to cut an album. It doesn't look like either the album or the tour is going to be happening now. So that, that's, a, that's a bummer for sure. I mean, it's life-altering. Comedian Peter Hudson just played at one of the first venues to try going live again. The Queen's in Nanaimo. There's plexiglass everywhere. The seats are all uh, distanced perfectly. But the 50-person max capacity is a money-making challenge, particularly for venues that serve food. If I just randomly open my door without an event, I could have my 200 capacity. Once I put on an event, I'm limited to 50. It doesn't seem to make any sense. In mid-July, Herman's plans to start live performances again and to make up the cash. We'd have an early show for dinner and a later show for guests to come. That ups the number of tickets available to 100. For musicians like Pablo, the idea of working twice as hard may sound a little sweeter with a live audience. Brad McLeod, Global News, Victoria. Up ahead, a COVID treatment booster. The 60-year-old drug showing promise saving lives in the worst infections. Also coming up, closed borders make life tougher for criminals. Believe BC, featured on Global News Hour at 6 and 980 CKNW, celebrates the innovative minds working together to reignite business throughout our province. Believe BC, presented in partnership with BCLC, with every play. Take you back to our breaking news right now. What appears to be a heavy police presence at Crab Park at the moment. After earlier enforcing the Supreme On this Court Tuesday night, extended morning, relief for Canadians the in a cash from crunch. The tent, from the city you there. will keep getting this is a that $2,000 a month. How much longer the Canada emergency like response benefit left this morning. And the cost uh, you to can keep it going. See the police Ontario's biggest operators of private long-term care homes uh, under scrutiny. We think it could have been preventable, the spread of COVID. The infection rates in these facilities promising results from a cheap, common medication. This is Really back of really that van. A potential life-saving treatment for the for sickest COVID-19 uh, patients and more on volatile relationship. In, but Tensions like, um, flare again between the Koreas. The Park parking lot for a second had been dismantled Global today, National with Donna Friesen. Good evening and thanks for joining us. We begin with some good news for millions of Canadians still out of work because of COVID-19. The federal government has extended the Canada Emergency Response Benefit, or CERB, for another two months. The benefit provides $2,000 per month to Canadians who lost work or cannot work due to the pandemic. It was initially available for a maximum of 16 weeks, paying a total of $8,000. Today's changes mean Canadians who need it can now access 24 weeks of support, amounting to $12,000. The Prime Minister warned today it will be a long journey ahead with parts of the economy still shut down by the pandemic. Eric Sorensen has more on what the government is doing to help Canadians avoid financial crisis. Cluny is one of thousands of restaurants located in the middle of the trailer. Those boxes contained thousands. Thousands of vacuum sealed bags containing over 3,000 3,000 
jobs rather than turn down serve. A decrease of 90 to 95% program is essential. Allows us to focus a little bit more on commercial traffic. More surveillance on trucks. Out of work who are looking for work. And even as our economy is reopening, the number of seizures is down, but the volume is way up. Then there While are jobs current available. border restrictions have played a part in the decrease in the actual incidents, as you can see, uh, it has not deterred criminal organizations so from trying to make a profit. Our investigations have not stopped because of COVID. Our seizures have not stopped. The opposition wants our more accountability. Another large marijuana bust from Canada last week. Two and a half million dollars for an economic update. And like just about all of it, Mr. Speaker, throughout this unprecedented pandemic, we have been open and transparent about all the measures we put forward. The program will add. Canada's All those border debt, but that's necessary, says this economist. Now the Canadian government can carry that debt. debt. The if convicted, the suspect faces right now, a mandatory minimum sentence of 10 years in jail, possibly as much as life in prison. Sean O'Shea, Global News, Buffalo, New York. The economy is slowly coming out of its deep freeze. More than a million Canadians who were getting served no longer need it. But in Toronto, where many restaurants remain shuttered, the emergency benefit will keep Dylan and thousands like him in a float. it's not a silver bullet, researchers and doctors are excited by the results of the new study. In 175 UK hospitals, some COVID-19 patients receiving respiratory support were also given a steroid. The closure of the Canada-U.S. border is also being extended. The border will remain shut to non-essential travel until at least July 21st, part of a deal already extended twice. The border has been closed since March 21st. Only essential workers, trade shipments, and those reuniting with immediate family members are allowed to cross. U.S. has more deaths and more confirmed cases of COVID-19 than any country in the world. Temporary foreign workers are among the people deemed essential in Canada during the pandemic, and tonight there's uncertainty around workers from Mexico. The Mexican government may be stopping thousands of them from coming to Canada after two temporary foreign workers died in Canada from COVID-19. As Abigail Beeman reports, the lack of clarity is stressful for both those workers and the farmers. Gearing up for the busy strawberry season, Miller's Bay Dr. Farm Matthew would usually have half a dozen temporary foreign workers on hand. In Canada, this year, with the delays with the and complications, we actually only have one guy being in the field right, right now, away. and we're looking forward Experts to two more coming out of quarantine. Chen and Miller says they've tried to fill the gap with local help, but it's this not the easy. Their Mexican workers are professionals who have been on the farm for years more like and family members and friends. The News, the Mexican so government may block more workers do, from coming to Canada, just adds to the stress and uncertainty. I don't want to sound the alarm bells, but you're not going to have the availability of local food. Even and then the other thing to think of is that, keep going. you know, if there's any kind there of shortage in the other countries where we import from, you can be sure they'll be keeping for themselves first and sending us only what's left over. The Mexican embassy here in Ottawa tells Global News there is a ban on more workers Coming to Canada, but farms, a non-profit group that helps bring workers to farms in Ontario and the, the Atlantic provinces, tells us that's not true. The Mexican government to told them Tuesday morning the ban only applies to farms where there is an the outbreak. Otherwise, it's quote business as usual. The but the Mexican embassy has since refused to clarify which is correct by deadline. Workers are telling us we're signing up that warrant by going into Canada because the the Canadian government has failed to provide protections UBC for us to be able to refuse unsafe work. Sonia Avilas with the Migrant Workers Alliance for Change says workers are afraid of getting sick, but they still want to come to Canada to work helps them feed their families. Various challenges around labor standards that uh, require uh, looking at. We can even look at things like pathways towards citizenship that could uh, give people more rights. We'll have no specific promises for a problem that gets worse that might, as the season progresses. Make that happen Abigail Beeman, Global News, Ottawa. Still ahead, how a we know fitness legend was inspired by, by the racism he encountered. Almost one third I of Ontario nursing home no residents who have died from it were living at facilities owned by just two corporate chains. And the That's one that of the findings of the Global News analysis of government statistics, which used self-reported data for the white from long-term care homes.
Some Why unions and healthcare researchers say the numbers prove private job. care homes are more vulnerable to the novel coronavirus. As Ross Lord reports, others say there, there are other factors that can't be ignored. Gestures of healing for families that lost loved ones in a nightmarish outbreak. As of June 12, 70 residents had died from COVID-19 at Orchard Villa in Pickering, Ontario. Victims include 95-year-old George Morrison. His daughter is suing the care home's private owner. We think it could have been preventable, the spread of COVID. With the highest percentage of for-profit care homes in Canada, about two-thirds, some of Ontario's private homes have been especially hard hit by the novel coronavirus. The two largest owners are Siena Senior Living and Rivera Incorporated. In Siena Homes, 295 residents have died from COVID-19. Rivera Homes have seen 230 deaths. Six Siena Homes experienced 20 or more deaths compared with four Rivera Homes and four homes owned by another for-profit owner, Rika. Two Siena Homes had more than 50 deaths as well as two Rivera Homes. Some researchers blame staffing. They say, in general, for-profits rely on temporary workers who move between homes to earn their living more heavily than their non-profit counterparts who hire more full-time permanent staff. Continuity of care makes a really big difference to the outcomes. So you have better care outcomes associated with more continuity. It's, it's really straightforward. But the industry is pushing back. The Ontario Long-Term Care Association says preliminary data shows a higher percentage of privately owned homes have no COVID-19 deaths. A statement from Siena says the vast majority of our 70 residences across the country have experienced few, if any, cases of COVID-19. Rivera says there are many factors that play a part in why COVID-19 spreads, but that data has not shown ownership as one of them. Others say there's another key factor, design. Here at Northwood in Halifax, the virus has killed 53 people. And critics note the majority of long-term care residents here live two or three to a room, which could make it easier for the virus to spread. Northwood is a not-for-profit home. Do we need to have uh, all our nursing homes with a single occupancy and a a washroom for every resident of their own? Uh, That is the question that is really before us here in the province. The question for everyone with a family member in long-term care, are they safe from the expected second wave of COVID-19? Ross Lord, Global News, Halifax. We have a deeper look at long-term care home ownership and outbreaks of COVID-19. That's on our website, globalnews.ca slash globalnational. In the U.S., President Trump has signed an executive order aimed at making law enforcement more accountable. After weeks of protests and intense pressure to tackle racism and police brutality, the president is creating incentives for police forces to improve their practices. At the same time, though, he's not toning down his law and order messaging. Jackson Prosco reports. Acknowledging the movement sweeping across America, President Donald Trump backed growing calls for police reform uh, with his own executive order full of modest proposals. And I will say we've dealt with all of the various departments and everybody said it's time. We have to do it. Trump is calling for the creation of a national database to track officers who use excessive force, restricting the use of chokeholds unless an officer's life is in danger, and adding better training to respond to issues of mental health and addiction. Proposals that come nowhere close to what protesters have demanded as calls to defund police Americans want law and order. They demand law and order. At 3 p.m. in the afternoon uh, at local it. time. Now, here's a look they at what you can expect over the next little while. Are you seeing things change here? Because I'm in not. In fact, Trump dismantled um, many so of the police reforms initiated by the Obama administration. Today, he's up against a rare moment of unity in Washington. Democrats Sorry, and Republicans seem there close to finding common so ground and could vote on police reform legislation within the next few weeks. Now is a moment to reach the real, lasting, strong, comprehensive change. We cannot merely make some changes around the margins. In cities across America, where peaceful protests continue, 
Some local officials have adopted even stronger measures. Nashville and Seattle are the latest cities to ban the use of chokeholds. In Atlanta, a city still reeling from the police shooting of Rashard Brooks, the mayor wants to rewrite the book on officer conduct. We have to objectively look at de-escalation. That's not very clear in our policies. In a moment when it seems like change is truly possible, there's growing pressure to make it happen. Jackson Brosco, Global News. A very unusual grizzly Here in Canada, the military has decided National to put its cyclone helicopter fleet the back into service after the fatal crash in April off the coast of Greece. The military says it's still investigating the exact cause of that crash. Which, Mechanical failure has been ruled natural. out. Based on the flight the data recorder, it says during a complex maneuver to land on the frigate, the flight director's inputs conflicted with the aircraft's autopilot settings, and that caused the helicopter to respond in a way the crew was not expecting. The helicopter slammed into the sea. In sports, the military That's says it's taking steps to prevent future issues with the software, including updating its training the, manual. It plans to have its cyclone <laughs> fleet back in service the, uh, in the coming days. Fire their I assure you, Mark this decision was not taken lightly. I have full confidence said, in our personnel at 12 Wingshire Water and in their uh, ability media, to resume flying activities in a safe manner. Launch some of the programs, no, no question. All six Canadian service members on board were killed in that crash on April 29th. It was Not the deadliest day for the Canadian Armed Forces in also more than a decade. Coming up, exercising a Canadian his right fitness to speak icon on the record about Hal racism. Coming up, how Hal Johnson turned discrimination into break. inspiration for body break. Prime Minister is working hard to win a Canada a seat on the UN Security Council, and the campaigning is intense. Justin Trudeau spent a lot of time on the phone today with leaders in India, Spain, Ethiopia, and elsewhere. Our All right, let's check in with Squire David now. Aiken that joins me. David, what is the focus of, of his pitch? Well, the pitch is as much you'd expect, uh, Donna. Canada is a strong team player, well-connected as a member of the G7, the G20, the Commonwealth, the Francophonie. But since the COVID-19 pandemic hit, there they has been in a new twist to, much to Canada's pitch. He was the Canada dude. is now selling itself like as a blue. wealthy country for good with the resources, expertise and willingness to help smaller countries with their health and economic challenges. But oh, as we look at the kind out. of world we're going to come out, to, come out of uh, post-COVID, we need Mark a country Canis like Canada that is big enough to make a difference, but small enough to know we can't do it alone. We will continue to work together. But Canada has some challenges of its own to overcome. So First of all, statement. its rivals, uh, Norway and Ireland, have been campaigning for a decade. Canada just started when Trudeau got elected in 2015. And every time a liberal politician here, be it Trudeau or anyone else, tried to take a dig at the previous Harper government by saying Canada is back, well, Norway would pipe up and say Norway never left. So Canada's inconstancy, Donna, has been something that its rivals have really been playing up. Members of the Canadian delegation so at the UN in New York tell me they are quote, cautiously optimistic. To, now that said, this is a secret ballot and anything can happen. Consider this, in 2010, Canada had written assurances from 135 countries that they would all vote for Canada in writing. And on that first ballot, only 114 kept their word. And this is what happens all the time with these votes, that some countries, we don't know which ones, say one thing and then do another. So we will see. And of course, we lost that 2010 vote. Now, voting in New York begins at 9 a.m. Wednesday. Insiders tell me Norway is likely leading the pack with Canada nipping at Ireland's heels. The UN says they expect first ballot results by about 4 p.m. Eastern. I don't think it would have been right, David Aiken in Ottawa. Can one person do everything? The no, UN Security Council not. was created after I the really Second World War, and its primary that, responsibility that is maintaining world is peace. It is the UN's because most powerful body, and membership is coveted. Here's how it works. The, the there are 15 seats on the Council. We five belong to permanent right members. In, in, China, in France, France Russia, again, the UK, and the US. The 10 remaining non-permanent seats have two-year terms, and they're distributed on a regional basis. Five seats are reserved for African and Asian nations. There are two seats for Latin America, one for Eastern Europe. 
and two for Western uh, Europe and other countries, warmer. including Canada. Uh, the Prime Minister is Canada saying is the government is Norway open to the idea Ireland of an NHL hub city in Canada is to good win, news for the NHL. To win, a country NHL. must receive two-thirds of all votes cast the for the seat. That means Canada must get at least 128 votes from the 193 UN members casting ballots. Multiple rounds of voting may be needed to reach that threshold. The steroid that's showing promise in the pandemic. Up next, who it helps. Davies and Robert Lewandowski. Bayern Munich against Brenneman. And that is a yellow card for Davies, and he would get another and get kicked out in the second half. But his teammates from Bayern Munich won this game. Lewandowski with the goal here. And with this win over Bremen, eighth straight league championship for Bayern Munich. There you go. All right, thanks very much, Squire. Coming up, our salute to a healthcare hero. Plus, how fitness icon Hal Johnson battled racism and turned it into body break. The Prime Minister is working hard to win a Canada a seat on the UN Security Council, and the campaigning is intense. Justin Trudeau spent a lot of time on the phone today with leaders in India, Spain, Ethiopia, and elsewhere. Our All right, let's check in with Squire now. Aiken that joins me. David, what is the focus of, of his pitch? Didn't well, the pitch is as much you'd expect, John. Uh, Canada is a strong team player, well-connected as a member of the G7, the G20, the Commonwealth, the Francophonie. But since the COVID-19 pandemic hit, there they has been a new twist to, much to Canada's pitch. He was the Canada dude. is now selling itself as a like wealthy country and for good with the resources, expertise, and willingness to help smaller well countries as a with their health and economic the challenges. But oh, as we look at the kind of world we're going to come out to, come out of uh, post-COVID, we need a country Pantis like Canada that is big enough to make a difference, but small enough to know we can't do it alone. We will continue to work together. But Canada has some challenges of its own to overcome. So First of all, statement. its rivals, uh, Norway and Ireland, have been campaigning for a decade. Canada just started when Trudeau got elected in 2015. And every time a liberal politician here, be it Trudeau or anyone else, tried to take a dig at the previous Harper government by saying Canada is back, well, Norway would pipe up and say Norway never left. So Canada's inconstancy, Donna, has been something that its rivals have really been playing up. And then do another. So we will see. And of course, we lost that 2010 vote. Now, voting in New York begins at 9 a.m. Wednesday. Insiders tell me Norway is likely leading the pack, with Canada nipping at Ireland's heels. The UN says they expect first ballot results by about 4 p.m. Eastern. I don't think it would have been right. David Aiken in Ottawa. Can one person do everything? The no UN Security Council not. was created after I the really Second World War, and its primary that, responsibility that is maintaining world is peace. It is the UN's most powerful Axel body, and membership is coveted. Here's how it works. The, the there are 15 seats on the Council. We five belong to permanent right members, in, in, China, in France, France Russia, again, the UK, and the US. The 10 remaining non-permanent seats have two-year terms, and they're distributed on a regional basis. Five seats are reserved for African and Asian nations. There are two seats for Latin America, one for Eastern Europe. And two for Western Europe and other countries, including Canada. Uh, the Prime Minister is Canada saying is the government with Norway is open to the idea of an NHL hub city in Canada is to good win news for the a country NHL. must receive two thirds of all votes cast the for the seat. That means Canada must get at least 128 votes from the 193 UN members casting ballots. Multiple rounds of voting may be needed to reach that threshold. This also means that all the Canadian the steroid that's showing promise in the pandemic. Up next, who would help? So Davies and Robert Lewandowski. Byron Munich against Brenneman. And that is a yellow card for Davies. And he would get another and get kicked out in the second half. But his teammates from Byron Munich won this game. Lewandowski with the goal here. And with this win, 
over Bremen. Eight straight league championship for Bayern Munich. There you go. All right. Thanks very much, Squire. Coming up, our salute to a healthcare hero. Plus, how fitness icon Hal Johnson battled racism and turned it into body break. There is still no vaccine and no treatment for COVID-19, but today the UK government did approve the use of a drug to treat people who are severely ill with COVID-19. It's an existing steroid that is cheap and widely available. It is not a cure and it doesn't work on every patient, but as Crystal Gamansing explains, it's offering some hope where until now, there's been none. This steroid used to treat inflammation could soon be used around the world to try and save incredibly sick COVID-19 patients. It really is showing quite a significant effect. Um, and it's really important because the drug itself is very widely available. It's on almost every pharmacy shelf in every hospital. One of the big challenges with COVID-19 is trying to stop the body's immune system from going into overdrive and attacking itself. A so-called well, another positive storm. day of numbers in BC's battle against the COVID-19 pandemic and, of patients course, much requiring of the credit respiratory goes to our frontline healthcare Tonight's nomination is a big thank you to this group of nurses it. in the it's emergency drug department at BC Children's in the community. Hospital. Or in outpatients Janice, or in patients on the ward who didn't have breathing difficulties. According to the findings, dexamethasone helped prevent the death of one in every eight COVID-19 patients on ventilators. The patients being treated with oxygen, with the drug prevented one death in every 25 patients Balancing the challenges and increased uh, demands of their job with their personal lives is not uh, easy, and their day-to-day -day roles have been impacted Dr. Matthew significantly Chang anticipates the drug will now be used in Canada. This is the first medicine that's been shown to reduce death in any Big group with thank yous to this group of healthcare heroes for all that you're doing and continue so to do to keep BC safe and healthy. And as if other you have a healthcare hero to nominate or a group of healthcare heroes to nominate, send an email to bchealthcareheroes.com. More than 8 million people have been infected worldwide, with more than 400,000 deaths so far. And we might feature them Crystal next on Global the News London. Well done, ladies. All right, one of the stars of an iconic Canadian fitness show is speaking out tonight and telling his story of battling racism in Canada. Body Break creator Hal Johnson says the show was a direct result of his experiences in being discriminated against for being black. Linda Ellsworth has the story. Back in the 80s, Body Break was different, not your typical fitness show. It combined exercise, nutrition and health tips. But it was different in another way as well. Its hosts were a biracial couple. You think that Body Break was started because of fitness. Well, it wasn't. It was started to combat racism. That was the number one reason that we started Body Break, Joanne and I. Co-creator and host of Body Break, Hal Johnson, recently decided to share the origins of the show in a YouTube video. I think the time is right. Um, people are out there, they're, um, they're wanting to know, they're wanting to, and I just felt, it felt right. I knew I had to say something. The road to body break was lined with racism and rejection. In 1988, his dream was to become a sports reporter. I was, wanted to be a sports reporter and I went to TSN and they were very open to see me. I went in and submitted my tape. They loved it. So much so that they offered him a job. But just a few hours later, TSN reneged. Because they already have a black reporter, they don't want to have two black reporters. Racism reared its ugly head many more times. So he and partner Joanne McLeod decided to create their own opportunity, Body Breaks. We took this around to 42 different companies and were turned down by every one. They even gave TSN another chance. Their response? If you change the person, uh, your part to be a white gentleman, we'll, we'll take it on the air. But when he approached Participation, a Canadian not-for-profit, he finally got a green light. Decades later, Body Break is still inspiring people not only to stay fit, but also enlightened you that we all can live, work, and play together, regardless of our ability, disability, or skin color. As for TSN, which released an apology today. But I understand that they felt as a corporation they had to put it out, but I hold no ill will. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. Grew up on that stuff. That shows Canadiana history. Sure so is. It's a Canadian heritage moment. Keep fit and have fun, as Marsha Gabriel just reminded us.
That's true. Mm -hmm. All right, final <laughs> word on the weather from Christy. Thanks. So sunshine for the next two days. Friday will likely see a bit more cloud cover, but still dry throughout the day at this point. Rain, though, as we transition into summer. Summer's coming. Believe it. <laughs> it's about time. All right. Have yeah. a great night, everybody. Good night, all.